Okay, so in this paper, I will be sketching the outlines of a moral and political philosophy that might be referred to as natural law libertarianism. For those familiar with both natural law and natural law theory and libertarian theory, uh, the expression natural law libertarianism may seem an oxymoron at best or just plain moronic at worst. Uh, my claims in this paper, however, that not only is there a meaningful sense in which we can speak of a natural law libertarianism, but first, that libertarian political theory, properly defined as the most consistent outworking of classical natural law moral theory. Second, that classical natural law moral theory provides the best and indeed the only proper foundation for libertarian political theory. And third, that natural law libertarianism is true, and because it's true, it provides Christians with the necessary moral, political, philosophical framework for adequately understanding, responding to, and reforming the political culture of our day. Well, let us begin with some definitions. First, what is natural law? Natural law is the idea that there exist objective, universal, and unchanging standards by which human action is to be morally evaluated and that these objective moral standards are derivable from human nature as created by God and are knowable by human reason. Let me give that to you one more time. Natural law is the idea that there's, there exist objective, universal, and unchanging standards by which human action is to be morally evaluated and that these objectives, these objective moral standards are derivable from human nature as created by God and are knowable by human reason. So some version of this idea of the natural law was taught or assumed by ancient pagan philosophers such as Cicero and with some qualifications Plato and Aristotle and by Christian thinkers from the Apostle Paul to St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, John Calvin, C.S. Lewis. Libertarianism, as I am using the term, is the political philosophy based on the harm or non-aggression principle. Some people would make distinctions between these for my purposes. I will be treating them equivalently. Um, According to the harm or non-aggression principle, uh, the only moral use of coercion is in response to a prior act of aggression committed against the person or property of another. So defined, uh, it is important to note that libertarianism is not, unlike natural law theory, a moral philosophy in general. Rather, it is a specifically political philosophy about when it is moral to use coercion. Natural law libertarianism, accordingly, is an attempt to fuse the moral theory of the classic natural law tradition with the political theory and ethic of coercion of libertarianism. At this point, I want to survey some of those areas in which classical natural law theory not only gets things right, but in doing so, provides the ideal and indeed the only proper foundation for libertarianism. In this overview, I will basically be cribbing the thought of St. Thomas, Thomas Aquinas as his treatment of these matters contains the most widely recognized and authoritative statement of the classical natural law tradition. The first thing to appreciate about classical natural law theory is that it is more than merely a moral philosophy. It is a moral philosophy rooted in an all-encompassing and systematic theological, metaphysical, cosmological and anthropological framework. To begin at the beginning, classical natural law theory recognizes that the source and center of all reality is an all-powerful, transcendent, 
yet personal and imminent God who is knowable both by natural reason and divine revelation. This creator God is not only the first cause of all existence, but he is also its final end, as well as its wise and caring providential director guiding existence to its final end. Because God is the inventor, the producer, the owner of all things, they are his intentions for his creation, their design, their order, their purpose, or what we might summarize as their nature, that are absolutely normative and authoritative for how things ought to be, operate, and interrelate. This rational and free God has created human beings in particular after his own image, giving them the powers of reason and free will by which they are able to initiate and direct their own actions. Through our reason, we are able to study and reflect upon our own nature and natural activities and derive from them rational principles or rules for human action and for future action. These rational principles or rules of action derive from our nature or what is meant by the natural law. Some of the more general principles of the natural law are seek the good and avoid evil, seek to preserve one's life and avoid those things that leading to its destruction, beget and care for our offspring and seek the truth, especially about God and live in a well-ordered society. The natural law, at least in its general principles, has also been revealed in scripture, especially in the Ten Commandments and in the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love our neighbor. And while scripture on the one hand is necessary because of human sin to correct and reform our understanding of the natural law, on the other hand, scripture itself does not spell out, nor does it intend to, all of, our, all of the natural law's implications, including all of its political implications. Spelling out such implications rather remains the permanent task of Christian moral and political philosophy, an exercise in which um, we are engaged here this evening. Because human beings are free, rational creatures, in order for any action to be truly human, it must have the individual's own will and reason as its immediate source or motivation. For this reason, Aquinas defines coercion as a species of violence in which a person is moved to act in a way that is contrary to the inclination or direction of his own will. A coerced action is not properly speaking a human action. Human beings are also inherently social by nature, needing to cooperate or collaborate with each other, not only to satisfy their physical needs, but also to, also to realize their social, intellectual, and spiritual potentialities. Yet while individuals are truly parts of the communal wholes to which they belong, as Aquinas also points out, as divine image bearers, individuals are also more than mere parts of their community who retain a metaphysical identity and significance that is irreducible to their purely political status. Human law made in the context of civil society, if it is to be legitimate and authoritative, must be derived from the natural law. Human laws that are not in accord with the natural law are no, no true laws and are not binding in the court of conscience, meaning that there is no moral obligation to keep them. There might be other practical reasons you might keep them, but there's no moral obligation to keep them. Law is not law merely because of some governments say so. Like the natural law upon which it is based, human law must also be rational, uh, with its relationship to the natural law being, in principle, intelligible to and verifiable by any human intelligence. Yet because human law is also coercive by nature, there are certain inherent limits to human law's ability to implement the natural law. 
Again, coerced human activity is not voluntary and therefore not properly human. So human law uh, can also only judge with respect to external actions rather than the internal motives of the heart. And even then, it is only some rather than all of external actions that law can effectively regulate. Law must also be for the common good. So that a law that benefits only one member or part of the community at the expense of another is also not a true law and may be resisted. And although law may be made by rulers of a community, they do so only as representatives of the community, meaning that, properly speaking, it is the community that has the primary authority to make law for itself. Well, this is only a sketch of some of the more notable and positive teachings of the classical natural law tradition, in which I think are not only compatible with the political philosophy of libertarianism, but which also provide it with its ideal and even necessary theological, anthropological, moral, and sociological framework. That having been said, there are important areas in which the specifically political teaching of classical natural law theory has, I believe, missed the mark. Some of these are sins of omission, others are sins of commission. First, despite the limits that classical natural law theory has sought to place on human law, the same tradition has also been guilty of uh, granting quite wide-ranging powers, uh, overreaching powers, I think, to government and law. For Aquinas, the primary coordinating institution in society is government. Even apart from the fall, in a world without sin, Aquinas thinks that human beings would have needed a centralized coordinating agency in order for the community to exist for the common good. Even now, in our fallen world, the common good aimed at by coercive human law is not merely the just protection of individual rights, but is nothing less than the comprehensive common good of universal happiness. Law, in a word, exists to make us happy. Inasmuch as human happiness consists in a life of virtuous action, one of the alleged proper effects of law is to make men to be good, to make them to be virtuous. And as we shall uh, see tomorrow in, in my talk tomorrow, for John Calvin, government exists to enforce both tables of the Decalogue. That is, both those commands that concern our virtuous active activity toward our neighbor and those commands that concern our proper worship of God. Following Aristotle, Aquinas defines the political community as the perfect community, that is, the most complete and comprehensive community because it encompasses and coordinates the activities and ends of all lesser communities, including the family. Though Aquinas would also would allow that the church is a, is a higher community still. As a consequence, for classical natural law theory, there's virtually no aspect of human life that is uh, allowed to lie outside of the political community's jurisdiction. The family, virtue, education, the economy, money, jobs, even healthcare, social security, and religion. These are all dimensions of the common good and as such fall under government's purview. More specifically, while natural law theory has been singularly insightful on the necessity that human law must be derived from, and so may not legislate outside of the natural law, classical natural law theory has also failed to identify and articulate a clear natural law basis or principle for determining precisely which parts of the moral natural law ought to be subject to coercive enforcement. Curiously, classical natural law theory has done a good job of giving us a fairly comprehensive account of the moral life, except on the question of when it is and when it is not moral to use coercion. For classical natural law theory, there simply is no universalizable ethic of coercion. Instead, the question of whether a society ought to use coercion to enforce a certain kind of behavior I submit is not really treated as a moral question 
at all, so much as it is a prudential or pragmatic concern. A policy that might be expedient for one society to use coercion to enforce might not be expedient for another society. When it comes to the ethics of coercion, classical natural law theory is uh, as utilitarian and relativistic as the philosophies it rejects. I think a similar claim, incidentally, might be made on behalf of many conservative theories today. Well, owing to these deficiencies, I maintain that classical natural law theory needs correction and supplementation, and that it needs this correction and supplementation in a specifically libertarian direction. Why do I think that libertarianism is the consistent political outworking of natural law ethic of coercion? Because libertarianism, unlike classical natural law theory, is uniquely attentive to and appreciative of the natural law insight in a man's original and authentic nature as a free, self-directing being who is meant to interact with and move his fellow human beings to action, not by coercion, but by rational persuasion, by making one's own ideas for how one thinks others ought to act into their ideas for how they ought to act. Given this nature as a free, self-directing, and so persuading or rhetorical being, what could possibly justify a man's use of coercion or a government of men using coercion to force their fellow humans to act contrary to their own reason and will? The answer cannot be that it is moral to use coercion anytime someone violates the natural law, for this would be to criminalize all sin, since all sin is a transgression of the natural law. Might then the natural law itself have something to teach us and to help discriminate for us which parts of its own objective code of conduct is to be forcibly imposed on others and which parts are not. For the natural law libertarian, the answer is yes, and the solution is to be found within the nature and logic of the coercive act itself. Coercion, once again, involves the use of force to compel someone to act or not act in a manner that is contrary to their own reasons and desires for action. To coerce someone, in other words, is to overrule their otherwise natural, God-given power for self-directed action and to substitute one's self and one's own reasons and desires as the directing principle of their behavior. To that extent, it is to treat them not according to their nature as a self-directing being, but as an extension of one's own self and reason. If this is what coercion is, then how on natural law terms could coercion be justified? The answer is that the only actions warranting forcible suppression by others are those actions which themselves are guilty of forcing one's will on the person or property of another. The only behavior, in other words, that could warrant ignoring someone else's humanity as a free, rational, and hence self-directing agent is behavior on their part that is itself guilty of ignoring someone else's humanity as a free, rational, and self-directing agent. The purpose of coercion, accordingly, is to use a form of violence to restore not just any disruption of or departure from the moral order, but a specifically violent disruption of and departure from the moral order. It is a prior act of aggression, in other words, the initiation of force on a fellow self-directing human being and only a prior act of aggression that activates the necessity of using the otherwise blunt instrument of lawful coercion as an appropriate countermeasure. We might call it the lex talionis rule for coercion, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, coercion for aggression. This non-aggression principle, here rooted in the nature of human action itself, is the only objective standard for coercion uh, to be postulated. This argument for the libertarian non-aggression principle from the nature of coercion 
is also corroborated, I think, by our common sense ethical intuitions regarding when individuals in the absence of government are morally justified in, in the private use of coercion. As the classical natural law tradition itself recognizes, individuals have a right of self-defense, even uh, lethal self-defense when the circumstances warrant. When human beings come together to form political societies, is this individual right of defense that they are seeking to organize and render publicly accountable. But when individuals come together to form a political society, while they can pool their individual powers of coercion, what they cannot do is pool or aggregate or accumulate their individual rights of coercion. Individuals, in other words, cannot create a political society that has rights of coercion that its individual members do not possess. And if the individual use of coercion and defense is limited to checking acts of aggression, and so it must be for, our, for the government to whom the right, that right of coercion has been delegated. Does this mean that libertarianism is therefore inherently individualistic? Uh, I say uh, no, it isn't. Um, and natural law libertarianism certainly isn't. Libertarianism is merely individualistic on precisely that one point where we ought to be individualistic, namely in our ethic of coercion. No matter how large the society or how organized the society, the fundamental natural law regulating human coercion does not and cannot change. Water cannot rise above its own level, and the individual members of a society cannot confer upon their society moral rights or prerogatives of coercion that they themselves do not have. Finally, to something very near this libertarian ethic of non-aggression that I think can be found implicit within the classical natural law theory itself, though we have, as we have seen, is at odds with some of its more statist uh, tendencies. In a discussion of the usefulness of law, for example, Aquinas argues that whereas in the normal case virtue is inculcated through custom, divine grace, and parental training, human law, by contrast, is for those who are too depraved to be moved by persuasion and so must be restrained from evil by force or fear. Uh, so that they might at any rate desist from evil doing and leave others in peace. Sorry, that was a quote from Aquinas. This is very libertarian. Uh, similarly, in his discussion of whether law forbids all vice, Aquinas answers no, stating that the aim of law is merely to punish the more grievous kinds of wrongdoing, quote, especially those which do harm, or what he means by harm here is aggression, acts of injury to others. And continuing the quote, without the prohibition of which human society could not be maintained, namely, and these are his examples, homicide, theft, and things of that kind, end quote. Again, a libertarian could scarcely wish to add anything to this account. Finally, Aquinas himself teaches that the most important part of human law is the one that has been derived from the natural law, not just in a generic sense, but as a matter of strict, objective, logical deduction and which is identical, he argues, with uh, what is known as the law of nations, the jus gentium, that all political societies hold in common. This, the defining examples of the law of nations that he gives, moreover, are the prohibition of murder and the protection of property in exchange. On Aquinas' own admission, then, the only ethic of coercion that is and has been objectively and universally derived from the natural law is, for all intents and purposes, the libertarian ethic of non-aggression. Although Aquinas does not limit human law to the libertarian law of non-aggression, the point is that he implicitly recognizes that the one universalizable natural law ethic of coercion is basically this libertarian law of non-aggression. So just what is natural law libertarianism then? In a word, it is all of the good parts 
of classical natural law theory minus its bad parts. It is the rational and scriptural theology, anthropology, ethics, and even sociology of classical natural law theory, divested of its confused and misguided political theory, replacing it with a far more consistent and considered natural law ethic of coercion found in the libertarian harm principle. And it is this natural law libertarianism in conclusion that I submit that we need now more than ever. If as Christians we want to respond to the political crises of our day in a coherent and principled way, then by definition we need to return to first principles. But as we do so, we need to be aware that our own intellectual tradition of first principles, here I'm thinking of the classical natural law theory, uh, it has not served us as well as we might think. In one critical respect, after all, the classical natural law tradition and our political opponents have something in common. They both want far more from and out of government than God ever intended it to provide. Our own American political tradition was born out of uh, the natural rights tradition of figures, thinkers like John Locke, a tradition that to its credit sought to provide a more consistent, rigorous, and principled political ethic than any the natural law tradition had produced thus far. To its discredit, however, the Lockean, liberal, and libertarian tradition of natural rights was achieving this at the very moment that it was also jettisoning the natural law foundation in which that account of natural rights had its proper origin. Our task as Christian thinkers today, accordingly, is to recover and to press both. Both the natural law moral theory that links us to such great Christian forebears as St. Paul, St. Augustine, St. Thomas, Calvin, uh, C.S. Lewis, others, and the libertarian political ethic that many of them did not fully appreciate. Together, what natural law libertarianism represents is a moral and political philosophy that uncompromisingly summons the world to and makes it a credible good faith offer of a present political peace even while simultaneously preaching it to it, to that world, the unconditional and comprehensive demands, but also gifts of the one who is the Prince of Peace. Thank you.